Welcome to Nurture and Admonition, a podcast about sharing our faith with our children as we walk along the way. Nurture and Admonition is a study and discussion of the children's catechism. Thanks for joining us today. Here are your hosts, Leanne Davis and Billy Eddy. So welcome to episode 10 of the Nurture and Admonition podcast. It's been a while. Um, I'm Leanne Davis, and I am not joined by Billy Eddy. Instead, I'm joined by my husband, Scott Davis. Thank you for letting me be on your podcast. <laughs> Welcome. I'm so honored. I'm so I glad that know, you're here. I didn't know our relationship had developed the point where I could be on your podcast. I, it's a big step for us. It is. Let's see how it goes. Yes. Um, so I don't want to be like overconfident. So far, I've only been invited to be on this one. No, you were on the pilot episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. It shows okay. the faith that I have in you. Great. So Billy has a lot going on in his personal life right now. Um, good stuff. Good really stuff. good that, stuff. That sounded like there was crisis. No, it's it's not a crisis. A lot of really good things, but things that tend to fill your calendar and make you unable to record uh, episodes of uh, unknown podcasts <laughs> every three mo- every three months. Right. So, well, before we were actually recording more, but we had a we had a long hiatus because. He had so many things happening. And then finally, we were just like, Billy, you, you really don't have time for this. Like, we're, we're, we're going to keep going. And when we want you back when, you're, when your life allows you to be back. That's right. But he had more important things to be focusing on right now. So, um, so he's let's, not gone he forever. He and his wife are expecting twins. We, we, let's, let's tell folks, he and his, his lovely wife are expecting twins, which is super exciting. He also yes. is uh, in the process of taking the licensure exams uh, with the Covenant Presbytery of the PCA, and yes. that is a, a beast of an exam, and there's a lot of studying in between that and between his internship here at Hope Church. It's a lot, so we, we yeah. decided to give him a break. Yeah, they also moved. Built a house. They, yes. they moved houses and just had a whole lot going on. So um, very understandably, he needed a break from this, but... We wanted to keep going, and we actually had people ask us, when is the next episode of Nurture and Admonition going to drop? And so we decided and and talked with him, and uh, we decided that you would fill in for a while. I'm happy to. All right. So we're kind of borrowing you. You have another podcast called Assurance of Pardon. Yes. And we're kind of borrowing you from there. But I'm I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Yes. It's going to be fun. It's, it shows how strong our relationship is that we can work together in this way. Well, let's, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay. So uh, this podcast, Nurture and Admonition, we are going through the Children's Catechism and uh, the Westminster Children's Catechism. And we had made it up to uh, question 21. Correct. I think was the last question that Billy and I covered. And so now we need to start with question 22. So in this episode, episode 10, we're going to cover questions 22, 23, and 24. Okay. That was what we felt went together the best. Let's do it. Okay. So question 22 is... In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? And the answer is, he made them holy, 
and happy. Question 23, what covenant did God make with Adam? The answer is the covenant of life. And question um, 24, what is a covenant? And the answer is a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word. So uh, I want to address again, and just as a reminder that we are using this little booklet, First Catechism by Great Commission Publications. And uh, a long time ago, Billy and I decided that this is what we were going to use as opposed to the children's catechism that we found online. There were a few discrepancies. Yeah, there's a number. Was, of, there's a number of iterations of this of this children's catechism. Yeah. Uh, it's not the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's just ca- often yes. called a, a catechism for young children. And so, most Reformed folks, if you refer to the children's catechism or the catechism for young children, and they and you say, you know, the one whose first question is "Who made you?" It's that one. And folks typically know that, so we yeah. want to distinguish that if you're new to the show. But there's a few different versions. Different versions, of different this ordering of some of the questions, for mm-hmm. sure. And so Billy and I made the choice to use this version by Great Commission Publications. It's it's the um, it's the version that we use in our church, uh, in our Sunday school back when we had Sunday school pre COVID. <laughs> And um, we just felt like some of the questions that were here that were missing from what we found online, they were really good and worth discussing and ones that we wanted our own children to memorize. So that's why we decided to go with this one. Yeah, there's no judgment on the other. The others, right. uh, Susan Hunt has a great book out. We that, use that, that at home. It's it's terrific. Uh, just for the sake of having a podcast and having folks at home be able to follow along um, they would get a little confused with the numbering if we didn't say which version we're using. So there's there's that. Exactly. So all of that being said, let's dive right into question 22. In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? He made them holy and happy. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that we need to deal with is, what does it mean to be holy? Well, it means, it means set apart, right? Mm-hmm. It means uh, prior to the fall, prior to their sin, there was, uh, they were not at enmity with God. Yeah. You, know, you think of all of the ways in which um, the world was broken when sin entered the world through Adam. Um, they now had a broken relationship with one another, with creation, with God himself. And so this is making it very clear that God didn't create them in that fallen state. The, 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 the state of sin that we're all born into now is not God's original intention Rather, he made them holy, he made them perfect and happy, wanting nothing. And so they didn't sin out of some sort of lack that God had failed to provide them. Right. I always grew up with the, with the notion that uh, the word holy is interchangeable or synonymous to perfect. But that's um, – and I think that's often what we – what we think, and that's certainly Adam and Eve were perfect uh, when they were first created before the fall. Uh, but really, it means set apart. It does. Yeah. And um, that makes it a little, I, I, I think understanding that it means set apart um, helps make sense of some things in the New Testament uh, that... 
um, what am I trying to say, that didn't really make a lot of sense uh, to say that if it meant perfect or perfection, like um, the spouse uh, of a believing spouse, the unbelieving spouse of a believing spouse is holy. Or the children of unbelievers. The children of believers are holy. Right. As we know, we have five children. They are not perfect. Not all five. (laughs) So, yes, they're they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, And yet, the Bible clearly tells us that they are holy. Yep, they are. Right. And that makes a lot more sense in the context of they are set apart. Right? And... And made Jesus in says, the be, be covenant- holy as my Father in heaven is holy. Right, right. Uh, which we know we're not going to be perfectly uh, perfect right now. Right. Right. That's something that's going to come in the new heavens and the new, new earth after death. Um, that we're not going to, in this life, experience perfection that is promised to us. Yeah. But we are counted. we are counted as righteous now. Reckoned as righteous right. now. Right. It's that idea of the already but not yet. Amen. Right. So um, that was a really helpful thing for me to come to understand that the word holy just means set apart. It doesn't always mean perfect or perfection. And then, uh, Scott, can you just kind of elaborate on what it means that God made them happy? Well, you know, when when Adam and Eve, again, we talked about this before, so often um, one of the things in our culture, when we see somebody go awry, you hear, you think about this, this idea of at-risk kids and that we would, we would explain that these kids, um, they do bad things because they were deprived of certain things that they, that they didn't have, right? Mm-hmm. They, had, they, they, they went into a life of crime because they grew up in a bad situation. They didn't have adequate housing. They didn't have an adequate home life. They didn't have adequate nutrition. And so it sort of spoiled them. So they were at risk. But when, when the catechism, catechism is telling us that God created Adam and Eve holy and happy, that means that their sin was not because out of some sort of unhappiness or some sort of void they were trying to fill. Rather, right. they were deceived by the serpent, and they they believed a lie, uh, and they pursued something that they ought not to pursue. They reached out and and, dis- and and reached out for equality with God, but it was not by any means because God had failed in some way. So this is what's so key that we, if we don't get that, then we're going to place. Adam and Eve's sin somewhere back at God's feet as though he's responsible because he just didn't do enough. And so what the catechism is wanting catechism is wanting to make clear one of those things is that this is not because of some sort of failure on God's part. They yeah. were happy. Um I think it it tells us a lot about our state too that we are only perfectly happy when we are in relationship with God. Right? We only find our happiness in him and our fulfillment in him and they had adam and eve had um a perfect relationship with him prior to the fall and so they were perfectly happy right um and we need to know that i think that there is something in us that is longing for that perfection again for that relationship with god again and even though even though we do have it in a sense, again, that already but not yet comes into play. So we do have, we are we are 
through Jesus right now reconciled to Christ and to, to God. There's no more enmity between us. And yet we will never be fully satisfied um, and fully happy until he is living with us again in the new heavens and the new earth. Right. The book of Revelation talks about him wiping away every tear. Right. So that, that must mean that in this side of this side of the return of Christ, there's tears, there's pain, there's difficulty. And so that not all has been made right yet. Right. He is he is in the he is doing that. And he is uh, he's not slow as some count slowness, but he is patient, mm-hmm. uh, waiting waiting that all of his elect should, should come to repentance. Right. That is, I think, so important, especially in these kind of turbulent times that we live in, although I I really think that every time in all of human history has been turbulent because of sin. Right. Um, but that's where our hope comes from, is that we know this longing will be fulfilled. And it may not be fulfilled in this lifetime, right? Something will always sort of be missing, in this lifetime, it's not exactly right. We realize things are not the way that they should be. Right. Not the way that God originally created them to be, and ultimately not the way that they will be uh, after Christ's return, when he wipes away every tear. Yeah, and he- so, we, we do have this longing. What's that C.S. Lewis quote about, if I, I must be longing for another world? Yeah, I'll have to look that up, but I think one of the... If you think of Jesus in John 16, when he says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right. So he, he's reminding his disciples that there's peace that we can experience now, but that peace is not a lack of difficulty right now. Right. You can have difficulty now. You can have trouble now, while at the same time having peace. But that peace is a forward-looking peace. Yeah. I have overcome the world, and so I know that God wins in the end, that death, disease, difficulty doesn't have the last last word. And so there's and right. therein lies my hope. Yeah, that hope is is rooted in what is promised. And I think that that's a, a perfect way to jump into question twenty three. What covenant did God make with Adam? Well, let's talk about that, but you wanted to hear the C.S. Lewis quote. If we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Yeah, beautiful quote. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Okay, so I'm sorry. Question 23, what covenant did God make with Adam? And the answer is the covenant of life. So I think the first question is, what, what is the covenant of life? Well, it's uh, the, the the promise that if Adam obeys perfectly, he will live. That what God promises in the covenant of life, and I guess that's coming up in some future questions. Yeah, there's a there's an upcoming question mm-hmm. about exactly that. Um, but the covenant of life, I think this is really interesting because as much as we talk about Adam and Eve being perfect when they were first created, there was obviously something being held out to them uh, that was. Um, the promise, the promised return for obedience. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that very well, but that um, if they obeyed, right, yes. God would give them eternal life. 
Correct, yes. Right? They did not yet have eternal life. Well, in a sense they did in that they had not yet died, right? So they, they would have lived for all eternity with right. God and expanded the boundaries of the garden throughout the world. So death didn't exist in the world yet. So in that sense, they did have eternal life right then. They had a life that did not have yeah. uh, an end to it. I think what I'm thinking of, though, is um, in Genesis 3, uh, when God is laying out um, the curses for their sin, and he says, we, we need them to be out of the Garden of Eden lest they reach out and take the fruit of the tree of life. That's true. Yes. Right? Yes. So, that's what I'm saying. Um, I can kind of deduce from the text that they had not yet eaten mm-hmm. of the tree of the fruit of life. Right. And um, and so, they, they failed. They failed in the test. They failed in the covenant of life. And so they were not allowed to eat from the tree of life. Correct. Yeah, they they were, and they were banished from the garden. And right. so when they fell, and this this can come, we can come into this in uh, next week's episode with more questions and what as, as it fleshes out, as it fleshes out in the coming weeks, what uh, what did God require Adam to do? But it's mm-hmm. hard. To, it's hard to talk about question twenty three very much without going into. 25 and 26 which is what does god promise in the in the covenant of life and what did god threaten in the covenant of life so right we we really almost have to go in and at least give a little bit of time to those mm-hmm. so that we can so that it even makes sense yeah i i wonder why question 24 what is a covenant i wonder why that didn't come first well in some of the orderings it does that's what yeah. i was just noticing as we were as we were preparing for the show is that um um one of the other one of the other sources that we were looking at has question twenty three is what is a covenant and question twenty four is what covenant did God make with Adam so yeah it is it is a little curious because really until you understand what a covenant is you really can't understand the covenant of life correct so let's move on to question twenty four what is a covenant and the answer is a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by His word. Yeah, and in the version that you and I do with our kids at home, in uh, out of Susan Hunt's fabulous book, yes, um, the answer is a little bit different. She says, um, "Oh, I've confused it in my mind. What is it? <laughs> It'll come to me in just a second. An agreement between two or more people. That's what it is. Yes, that's what the answer is in that. Which I don't like as well. I don't like that as well either. I like this wording." better and i would say the 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 reason we don't like that as well is because that's actually what a in a lot of ways that's a contract right right? that's like what a real estate covenant is yeah so often when we think about covenants is if we are letting a if uh um if we let our secular understanding of a covenant or a contract inform this then we're going to be off and so if i'm going to sell you my house i you provide me a contract saying I promise to buy the house for this amount of money 
And I, uh, but first, and you promise to fix the heater. Yeah. And then I may say, I tell you what, I'm not going to fix the heater, but I'll knock $500 off the price. Right. And we go back and forth and right. we, we fax it back and forth until. And we, that's, that's an agreement between two or more people. That is an agreement. The, the, co- the covenants of the Bible don't work that way at all. They're not like there's, that at all. There's no place in them where God says, how's that sound to you? But I tell you what, yeah. you know what? Talk it over with your folks and email it to me. And Have we'll your go back. people get in touch with my people. We'll go back and forth. And so this is yeah. why this is why using is one of the the great things about catechizing your children is that they're going to learn what a covenant is before they learn what a contract is. Right. Before they enter into the business world, before they learn about real estate contracts and uh, job job contracts, they learn about the covenants that God makes with us, and that is. The covenants that God makes in the Bible are always, hey, I'm God, you're not, here is the agreement. Right. This is what you're going to do. That's exactly right. They have a- This is what I will do. Yes. Yeah. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt with a mighty right hand. You're going to be my people, and that's how it's going to be. And all of God's covenants are founded first and foremost with him reminding us who he is. That's right. Right? They're all- that's why I like this language, a relationship that God establishes with us and guarantees by his word, um, because they are all founded upon uh, who he is and that he is infallible and that he is true to his word and he is immutable. He never changes. Right? He never comes back and changes his mind. He never says, uh, you know what? This is a little outdated. We need to come up with a new plan, a new agreement. No, when he says something, it is forever. It's for eternity. Never changes. And so that's what makes his covenants so uh, so beautiful and so rich. And it gives us our hope. Yeah. And, and parents, there is, there is no better way to teach your children a way to understand the Bible than to expose them to the idea of covenant. Michael Horton has this beautiful mm-hmm. uh, um, explanation in his very helpful book, uh, God of Promise, which is not a book for your kids to read. It's a book for you to read, God of Promise, An Introduction to Covenant Theology. And he has this illustration, I didn't pull the page up, where he says, you know, if you climb into a building and you look, get in the attic, uh, climb into the attic and look, you'll see the rafters that, and you say, that's the skeleton, that's the architecture that's holding this building up. And he says, to climb into the Bible and say, how is the Bible structured? It's structured through a series of covenants. We have the covenant of life, sometimes called the covenant of works. Mm-hmm. We have the the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic, Abrahamic covenant, and then the Mosaic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant, and then we have the new covenant. Right. And so a wonderful thing for, for you and for your kids to learn is to learn what those covenants are. Learn what they are, learn where they are, what they mean. And, and why that's important. Um, yeah, because really covenants are the skeleton of the of the scriptures. Yes. They are the bones on which everything else is built. And part of understanding who Jesus is, is understanding who he is in the fulfillment of the covenants he has made. And it's it's how we it, it's how we get our bearings in the Bible 
there's a little illustration that that we use a lot on assurance of pardon uh, that's not original to us and it says um have you ever put together a jigsaw puzzle when you're going to put together a jigsaw puzzle you yes you need all the pieces and yes you need a large flat surface and yes you need plenty of time but there's one more thing that you have to have if you're going to put together a jigsaw puzzle and that is you need the picture on the top of the box and if you don't have that, you're gonna struggle to know where any of the pieces go, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make things fit that were not intended. Right. And so, what covenant theology does uh, is it helps us have a picture of the storyline of the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And when we know that, we've got the picture on the top of the box. And so, somebody can come to us and they can say, "What is this about not eating shellfish? What is this about?" Uh, about God sprinkling blood on people in mm-hmm. uh, in in what is this Moses? about not wearing uh, two different weaves of fabric? All of those things, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna come you're gonna come in contact with those in the scripture, and if you have some sense of covenant, if you under, have some sense of of who the audience is and and what's going on at that point in the scripture, then you'll be able to make sense of those, and the Bible will not be such a a, a, a cryptic book to you. Yeah. And it, it will help you encounter really terrible things that um, that you know modern Christians say, like we need to untether ourselves from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the New Testament actually doesn't make any sense without the Old Testament. And um, and and what it what it is what you see the, that the New Testament is is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament covenants. That's right. That's right. In fact, it, it, you just think about it, Christian. When Jesus is at the Lord's Supper, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Yeah. And How so, do you even know what that means yeah, if you I, don't know what the old covenant I gotta, is? In order, in order for that to make any sense, I've got to know what a covenant is to begin with, mm-hmm. and I, then I've got to know what makes it new. And I can't know what makes it new unless I know what made it old. Right. And so there's so much... The, the, that passage in First Corinthians 11 is so pregnant with covenantal meaning that my hope of understanding the Bible and making sense of it comes entirely from, from getting that. Right. I mean, that is the whole basis of God's interaction with humans throughout history, with his people right is is making covenants and him being true to them and us failing them. <laughs> Right? right, and him fulfilling both sides of them, and that was something that I had absolutely never heard until I met you and we were dating, and you gave me this resource called uh, Bible in an Hour. I did. It's by it's by a, a minister. I want to say his name's Wade Butler. He's actually from the Lutheran tradition. So there, there are areas um, for reform folks. We we might disagree with this or that or the way that they're interpreting it. Right. But it he takes fifty nine and a half minutes and he describe he explains the storyline of the Bible from Genesis yeah. to Revelation and it's it's super helpful. I remember listening to it for the first time and it just absolutely blew my mind. Before. The Old Testament never made any sense. What was I supposed to do with this really angry God? That's right. Right. Um, and what was I going to do with all these really hard things? Sacrifices. And, yeah. And animals cut in half. Right. Um, and that's something that I had never heard before. Um, Scott, will you talk a, a little bit about the Abrahamic covenant 
in Genesis 15. Is that right? Yeah. Where, there's a few places um, where we see it. Where he has Abraham uh, bring animals for sacrifice and he cuts them in half. And um, can you talk about that? Sure. So uh, a covenant again is an agreement God establishes with us, and 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 is and so the covenant is is a promise God is making, uh, and it's a promise that's that's uh, a good promise because it's made by a good God who's a promise keeping God, and so He's made these promises to Abraham that He's going to give him the land of which He's standing. He's going to bless the world through His inhabitants, uh, and um, and and, th- and through His through His seed, all the world is going to be blessed. He's going to make him a great nation. But there's a place in, in in Genesis chapter 15 where Abram Abram asks God, "How am I?" This is in Genesis 15. He says, "Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it?" Right? Mm-hmm. You've made it. You've made a promise right. to me, but how do I know that that promise is going to come true? Give me a mm-hmm. sign. Yeah. Right? So how do I know I can trust you? So we have uh, when God gives covenants, He gives signs of those covenants often, mm-hmm. and so um, God. God tells him to do this really strange thing. He says in Genesis 15, 9, he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, uh, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then it says in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great uh, river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Pe- uh, Perizzites. Uh, it, it goes on and on and all the all the various sites. Right. But what's going on here with these animals cut in half is that in those days when a a great king would would enter into a covenant with a lesser king, maybe for protection, then one of the ways that that oath would be promised is that the lesser king would take these animals and cut them in half and put one half over here and one half over here. And then the lesser king would walk through the pieces as a pledge saying, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, let this happen to me, this destruction Mm -hmm. that has come on this. Let me be slaughtered in the way these animals have been slaughtered. It's a blood oath. Yeah. May this happen Mm -hmm. to me. And so, and so it was a way uh, of uh, that the, that the lesser king would promise that I promise to hold up my end of the deal if you promise to protect me. And so here's God making this promise with Abram. And what you would expect to have happen is you'd expect for God to say, cut these pieces in half and you walk through the pieces. Right. That way the curses of this covenant fall on you if you don't hold up your end of the deal. But instead, God has him cut, God, God take, has him take these animals and cut them in half and, and then God, instead of calling him to, God puts him to sleep and speaks to him in his sleep, 
and God appears as a smoking pot and a flaming torch and passes through the pieces himself. And, right. and God is making the covenant. And right. so just a spoiler alert, you fast forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or you first you fast forward, uh, which is the, the words of institution, you fast forward to the Last Supper, and Jesus takes a loaf of bread and he breaks it in half, and you can just imagine him holding it in each hand and saying, this is my body. Broken, Bro- broken for, for you. For you. And then this is the my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And oh so, my gosh, I got chills. And so what's beautiful is what you have is you have Jesus, the greater king, taking the punishments of our covenant breaking on himself. Yeah, I think what's so mind-blowing to me is that God actually holds both sides of the covenant. He holds the side of, of God. I will be your God. Um, and he is infallible, right? Um, but he also he he also holds up the lesser side. He holds up the side of the lesser king, which is actually you and I. That's right. And even though he keeps the covenant, right? We break it, and Jesus is broken in our stead. That's right. So that destruction falls on him. Instead of us, we're passively sleeping. That's right. Right? Over to the side. And so um, he makes a covenant with us, and yet God himself upholds both sides. It's almost like there's a, if only there was a verse that says that he's the author and finisher of our faith. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, we're running out of time. Very quickly, uh, because as always, there's so much to this catechism that um and we teach it to our five-year-old and he can give back the answers you know we ask him the questions and he can give back the answers but there is so much rich theology in all of these questions and answers and we when we really start to talk about it we we realize how much is there yeah i was listening to a, a lutheran scholar who i really like and he's talking about the beauty and you guys may have dealt with this on a previous episode the beauty of teaching your kids a catechism that they don't fully understand yet right is like a boy putting on his father's suit and it doesn't fit him yet mm-hmm. but every day it grows he grows more and more into it so rather than teaching them small truths that they grow out of you're teaching them big truths that they grow into Right. Um, it was actually you mm-hmm. on episode one. I said that before. That, that said I that. I don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot, even my original thoughts. No, it's been a long are, time. Yeah. It's been almost a year. So um, anyway, that is just the most, I, th- I think the most beautiful picture of what catechism can be for the faith of our children. It is like the food that nourishes them as they grow. And, um, but we need to move on to okay. our uh, head, heart, hands portion. And one thing that Billy and I always uh, would like to deal with is, okay, so understanding this, having talked about this, how does this change the the way, how does this change what we know to be true? And I would say what, what it does is it gives us confidence that God's word is clear. It gives mm-hmm. us confidence that we serve a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so the Bible has a structure that's discernible once yes. someone can sit you down and say, look, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David. And, and once you see that, right, you see this promise to David, I'm going 
I'm going to send one of your sons is going to be a king and he's going to sit on your throne. He's going to reign forever. And then you fast forward to Advent when the angel appears to Mary and says, he will sit on the throne of his father, David, and he will forevermore. And so you, you can see, oh, that, that's the Davidic covenant finding its fulfillment in Christ. Yes. So the, the thing that it changes headwise is that it gives us confidence that the Bible is understandable. And yes. it's not a complex, cryptic book that we can't ever make sense of. Well, I, I want to put a little finer point on that. And that doesn't mean that there's not things that we struggle to understand in the scriptures. Sure. Right? It's, it's not that every single thing is just absolutely crystal clear. And if you don't get it, then you're not reading it correctly. Because that's something that has been said to, to me. Right? Right. Oh, it's, it's as clear as day. Um, and I'm like, no, Revelation really isn't as clear as day to me. <laughs> sure. Right. Um, but, but yes, I think understanding the Bible in the context of God's covenants with man does make so much sense out of the Bible. And it makes clear things that are otherwise unclear. Okay. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I was going to say something else about you know how, how this changes about how what we think about God. Well, how does it change? How does it change how we feel in heart? Right in the in the heart. I would say, you know, for me, just personally, my heart hearing that that God keeps both sides of the covenant, right? That he um, and when we fail. He is the one who passes through the pieces in our stead. I mean, that just fills me with awe and gratitude. Yeah, you know? he, he does. He Jesus lives to intercede, right? I yeah. always I say this at, at church. You've heard me say it before. Um, you know, the, the writer of the Hebrew says that Jesus lives to intercede. And I say, you know, some people live to play golf. Some people live to garden. Mm-hmm. Jesus, his life work now is interceding for his people. Right. Um, and that was the joy set before him for mm. which he endured the cross, as Hebrews tells us, Amen. right, to, to intercede for his people. And he lives to intercede now. So um, it, really, it really grounds my hope, right? I can trust God because he made these promises and he cannot be false to me. And he gives me signs. He gives me signs of the covenant to encourage me. So that we know that what he says is true. Yeah. And um, I think that has us respond in gratitude, right? So hearing all of that, how does that make you want to respond with your hands? It makes me want to respond in gratitude. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because if I believe that if I believe that I'm saved by grace, but kept saved by my own obedience, then it actually, that's actually soul crushing. That actually yeah. is the kind of thing that will stifle my, uh, my good works because I'll just realize this boulder I'm trying to push up this hill. This hill is so tall. This boulder is so heavy and I'm so weak. And so it, it, I'm going to let go with my hands. But if I, if I know that I'm saved by grace and I'm kept saved by grace, mm-hmm. that I'm free now to love my neighbor and serve my neighbor, uh, and and that when I fail, 
uh, God does not cast me out. Yeah. And so, so it, it, knowing that, um, supercharges, it fuels my desire to, to do good works, to love God and neighbor, knowing that the, a perfect obedience has been credited to me. Yeah. It makes me want to know him more. Absolutely. And so, um, like, you know, I don't know about the other people listening, and especially young people listening who who don't have a lot of life under their belt yet. But when you get to be my age, you have a whole lot of sin in your past. And to understand that Jesus passed through the pieces so that I don't have to. That's right. Um, fully knowing and understanding the depth and the egregiousness, the severity of my sin, and doing that, again, as Hebrews said, for the joy that set before him, right? But it was his joy. He loved me so much that he was willing to pass through the pieces to save me from that and to bring me back to him and reconcile me to him. I mean, that that just stops me in my tracks. Yes, yeah, Paul says in Romans, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Um, and, a, and a God who's willing to go to those depths. That's right. That is, as Paul is saying, um, Gosh, it just it just changes the very depth of who I am, mm. it, and um, and so in gratitude, it, it makes me want to to do what he's called me to, just to love my neighbor, right, and love him. It makes me want to know him better, which means if I want to know him better, I need to spend time in his word, right, and right. and study his word, um. And, and, well, we just really start there. <laughs> yeah. Right? We could go on and on. But I, I think that's how we start with our hands, is just knowing what a gracious, gracious, merciful, loving God he is. And that we will never get, we will never fully understand the depths of his mercy. Well, what is our, what is our scripture memory verse for, for this week? Well, um, okay, so our scripture memory verse is Romans chapter 5, verse 19, and this is the ESV translation. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And then if you want a little bit more of a challenge, a little bit longer verse, and um, I don't have it memorized, so Scott, I'm going to need you to read it. Um, if you wanted a little bit more of a challenge, you could memorize 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. Scott, will you read that? I will. And and what we need to realize as we, as we begin uh, unpacking covenant theology is a covenant is a lot of things, but it, at the end of the day, it's a promise, right? It's a promise yeah. from God. And so... It's helpful to know that, to remember that a covenant is a promise, and then to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, when Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Mm-hmm. That is why it is through him we utter our amen 
to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Gosh, that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of that, let's also talk about something else that's beautiful, something else that's wonderful to memorize and to go to and to, to if you might say, hide in your heart to, to, in the, to, to, to reflect on, especially in the, the dark night of the soul. And that is the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And the reason that this is that my, many of our listeners are familiar, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less than Jesus and Blood and Righteousness. Um, but the reason we chose this one is because verse three, and I talked about this yesterday for our church when, when I administered communion, is verse three says, his oath, his covenant, and his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And so what's beautiful about that is when we come to the Lord's table, what's the Lord's table about? Well, it's about his oath. It's about his covenant and it's about his blood. This is my blood of the new covenant. So that's a promise from Jesus. This is my blood to, that, that signifies and seals my promise that I will forgive the sins of all who draw near to me in repentance and faith. Yeah. And that all whom the Father gives me, I will lose none but raise them up on the last day. So uh, it, my hope is built on nothing less is a song of covenant theology. This is one of my very favorite hymns. And I shared this um, when I got to be a guest on Assurance of Pardon, and we talked about um, hymns in worship. But uh, one of the reasons that this is so dear to my heart, and it, this, the verses are not, um, they're based on Scripture, right? They're not exactly Scripture, right. but they are, we would say, scriptural, right? Sure. Um, because even though they may be said in a little bit different way, they are they absolutely find their root in the scriptures. And um, when I was giving birth to our fifth child, James, and things went very bad very quickly, and I thought I was going to die. And um, this hymn is what came to mind. Mm. And... Um, what comforted me in that moment was the verse, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Mm. And um, what is the verse where it says, my anchor holds within the veil? Um, I don't have it. I don't have it pulled up now. Sorry. <laughs> it's it usually, I mean, I, I, it usually comes right to mind, but it's escaped me this time. But I just told myself in that moment over and over and over, my anchor will hold. My anchor right. will hold. And if if I'm going to die right now, Jesus is holding me and I can't be lost. That's that's the promise. Right. That's the promise. And that promise is based in his covenant. So... We did gather um, a few places to go if you want to talk with your children uh, more about the different covenants uh, in the Bible that God has made with his people. Uh, if you want to read about the uh, Adamic, uh, Adamic. The yeah. Adamic covenant, uh, you can find that in Genesis 2, verses 16 through 17. 
If you want to read about the Noahic covenant, the covenant he made with Noah, you can read about that in Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. The Abrahamic covenant is found in, um, this one is a big one, (laughs) it's found in multiple places, but in Genesis 12, verses 2 through 3, and then again in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. That's right. The Mosaic Covenant, uh, this is, I mean, again, you can find this through all the Bible, Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6, and all of Leviticus. (laughs) And uh, the Davidic Covenant, the covenant God made with David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, and then the New Covenant, which is prophesied in Jeremiah, verses 31. I mean, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. That's right. So that's a really good place to start. And I think that brings us to the end. Uh, Thank you for joining us. God bless. Thanks for listening to Nurture and Admonition. We hope today's episode has been encouraging. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please consider liking, rating, and subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, tell your friends about us on social media. Nurture and Admonition is on Facebook and Instagram, so help us spread the word. Until next time, may God richly bless you as you seek to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord.